You know, one thing that we realize is that the vast majority of the wisdom in this place here is found actually uh, in the pews with the congregation. So we get a lot of good feedback. I had a, uh, a gentleman give me just a little bit of positive feedback, which was helpful. He said, you know, take a look at your heading, brothers. You know, one Savior, four Gospels, just a little bit of encouragement. Maybe a little better is one Savior, one Gospel, four records of that Gospel. So that's why we have everybody here helping us. It's well said that way. We're going through this Advent series, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four individuals born on by the Holy Spirit, telling one story of one Savior, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ via their personalities and via what God uniquely wanted them to share. One Savior, one gospel, four records. So page 855, if you want to use a Bible that's provided for you in the pews, We're going into Luke. If you go to a church during Christmas season and they say they are going to go over the Christmas story, it is more than likely that they are going to go through Luke chapter 2. The Christmas story is often turned to in Luke. The gospel writer, the physician, recorded a lot of things and he recorded the Christmas story. So children's programs, memory verses, often Luke 2, maybe a little bit in Luke 1 as well. And by God's grace and for his glory and for the benefit of our spirits, we're going to look into these things. We're going to take a look at where we're at. Luke's an interesting character. He's very detail-oriented. He provides us a little bit. He actually gives us a little speed ramp to see what he wants to do and what he wants to get into. And he does it very quickly. He does it just in four verses. In chapter 1, here's how he starts out. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginnings were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Right away, he's going into this idea that we need to understand some things. Everything we're going to go to from here, we may have heard things, we may have some recollection, but if we don't understand, if we don't know, if we don't have certainty, another way of saying that is if we don't believe, it has no value for us. So Luke is saying, you know, you may have heard this already, but I'm going to write an account. I'm going to write it down in detail through eyewitnesses, through people that have shared it with me, things that I've seen that we may have certainty. And then he just jumps right in. And I think I love the topic for us today. God is great. What does that mean? To jump in and get a feel for what he's talking about a bit. Let's just jump into this Christmas story that we have in verse 26. Of chapter 1. The narrator Luke writes it for us this way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, Joseph of the house of David. 
and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Those are greetings we all want to hear. That's a nice one. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will receive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Pay attention here, verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of our father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. He will be called great. The son of the most high. You know, why is he going to be called great? What are the different things that Theophilus and others had heard? What did they understand from the first testament? What was buried in these things that Luke was not writing, but he was intimating? He was implying, inferring, if you will. They knew that God is all-powerful. God can do all that he sets his mind to do. Matter of fact, if he sets his mind to do it, it's effectively done. God is holy perfect. God is all good. Everlasting. So these thoughts would have been there, would have understood that God is great. But it was more than that now, because now he's jumping right into the story with Mary, and he's jumping into this idea, the greatness, the incarnation, the enfleshing of God himself. This is what really makes it great. Because God who is wholly other and who is wholly perfect, who does not need anything, has a creation that turned their back on God, that wandered away, that said, I want to try it my way. I want to see how far I can get. And whether we admit it all the time or not, we have moments where we all know that we are not where we should be, that we are fallen and we have no way of making it to where we need to be. We're drowning in an ocean and we don't have the strength or the ability to swim to the shore. And God said, even though you turned your back on me, even though I don't need you, I am going to come and get you. And I'm going to come and get you in such a ridiculous way. I'm going to come leave my throne. I'm going to put on the clothes of the ones who are in poverty. Take off my robes. Do it forever. Live with you. Be with you. Experience with you so that I can save you. That is great. That is great. That is so great that we can't really grasp it. We can't really put our mind around it. How could God do that? How could God do that? You know what? I can't help it. Uh, We read it a lot. I I read it a lot. If you feel like turning with me, Philippians chapter 2, the writer, Apostle Paul, St. Paul writes this to the church at Philippi. He's, He's getting this concept into them in the second chapter. He's getting into this thing of the humility of Christ, the greatness of his love, that that what can cause him to do this? And he exhorts us this way. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself, did this purposely, made himself nothing. That's kind of where we're at without him. Taking the form of a servant. Being born, here's our Christmas story, in the likeness of men. It keeps going though. And being found in human form, he humbled himself further by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death, not just death, but death on a cross. And because of that, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He has highly exalted him. Because God is great, it means something. If God is great, I'm going to leave you with this. We're going to hit this idea of God is great, number one. But what does that really mean? I can tell somebody that God is great. And they might say, that's great. If that's your opinion, that's wonderful. They may even, in some general knowledge, concur. If I generally be, believe in some great being and something that created some things, I can in some terms say he is great. But that's, we've got to get past that. God is not great if he's not great for me. What is so great if he's great for you? What great for you? He's got to be great for me. For me personally. And when God does it, when, he's, when God in the name of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, is who he is, God says he will be exalted. Gabriel said that he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. God made it available. Here's one of our key takeaway points. His greatness is supposed to be individually. His greatness, he came down specifically to be great for me. Put your name in there. He came to be great for you. So one of our questions today will be, obviously, is he great for you? Keep that in mind and let the Spirit wrestle with that in our hearts. So if God is great, and let's take it further. I'm just going to assume it for a moment because we like to think positively. We're op- you know, we are optimistic people here at Lakeside. That he is great for you. What next? What do we do then? If God is great for me, I propose that that leads us to worship. I propose that if God is great for me, not only will it lead us to worship, we will not be able to stop ourselves from worshiping. I had more in this in my notes, and I scribbled it out because I said, I'm not going to waste this time talking about these kinds of things, but I would just give you where my mind was going. Think about all the things that we will celebrate and celebrate at length, constantly. Things that we'll celebrate routinely, birthdays, etc., promotions, jobs, births, weddings, etc. We will celebrate them for hours. We will plan. We will celebrate all the time. A team wins a championship, etc., etc., etc. Watch Watch how we will celebrate, and I'm using the term celebrate there, a little bit akin to worship. 
because it takes what we are interested in and what captures our mind and what motivates and what we find some worth in. What's amazing here, and in some discussions with Peter, help me see this, that Luke, in the Christmas story, is highlighting multiple occasions. I'm going to highlight six for us of how the Christmas story affected people and affected them for worship. If you're interested, I'll go over the six, but I need a little encouragement. You want me to go over the six? Should I go over this? All right, let's do it. I see a couple of head nods. Yes. The ones that nodded, no, I, I didn't see. So we'll, we're just, uh, I got my eyes. We're good. All right, let's go ahead. Let's jump into it. Who do we have? What are we seeing? This idea of worship. What is Luke going to be bringing us to? The first indication I want to go right in John chapter 1. Jump ahead with me to verse 40. Mary, the heading in many of the Bibles says, Mary is visiting Elizabeth. Let's just read this section. And in those days Mary arose and went with haste unto the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah. So Mary is now pregnant, right? Go along. And she entered the house of Zechariah. And she greeted her relative Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's got John the Baptist, right? And if we read earlier in John chapter 1, you're going to understand that John the Baptist is set there through the Holy Spirit to create a way for the Messiah. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Immediately upon Mary's entering, they were in the spirit, it records for us. By the way, takeaway point for us, none of this we can reveal to ourselves. None of this we can just find by doing a little extra effort. This has to be revealed to us by God himself. He came in the person of his son to reveal himself to mankind that was lost, and he sent the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, refresh our hearts that we can see the truth to remove the blinders that our sin nature and Satan himself constantly is hitting us with. So what happened here? All we have is the presence. We have Mary walking into the room, and we got a little, what do we, what might be, he might be seven months in a womb, I don't know exactly, and here goes John the Baptist, does a little flip inside. And immediately, Elizabeth starts prophesying as well. I want to say that when we come into contact with Jesus, And if he is great for me, John the Baptist already knew who he was. He knew it early. He was a little prodigy. He knew early what his calling was. And he goes, ooh, yeah, Jesus is here. And he's not just great. He's great for me. Because John the Baptist had a sin nature. John the Baptist needed a savior. John the Baptist was glad that he could now swim to shore. And John the Baptist was now worshiping in the womb, which is pretty amazing. And Elizabeth says, I see it, and I understand. And it goes right along, and we go into one of the great records of a prayer, a song, Mary's Magnificat. I think it's worthwhile. One of the greatest things we can do is read God's word 
We'll take a moment. The second evidence. So now, we're in the Christmas story, right? You'd think we'd be hearing more about he's going to weigh this and he's going to this. This is it. This is our Christmas story. This is Luke, what he's recording for Theophilus to understand, and he's going through it. And then Mary said, and he decides to record. Remember, he's recording John the Baptist doing a flip in the womb here, and now he's recording what Mary says. Mary's response is this. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I know I'm supposed to keep reading here, but I can't help it. i got to give a thought here. The idea of worship, most religions will understand. We're going to go, what's the difference? You know, matter of fact, there's one great religion that has all kinds of uh, converts that will say in their own native language, God is great. It's one of their big sayings, right? God is great. It's what we're doing here today. God is great. Allah is great. And the worship is more akin to trying to earn. It is a work of trying to earn what God will give as favor. If you worship me and do enough right, I will give you my favor. So worship is a work trying to earn the favor of this deity that is so great. The difference here is Mary is not doing that. John the Baptist is not doing that. They are, they are worshiping, worshiping because favor has been restored and put on them. Favor, God's favor has been put on them in the person of Jesus Christ to save them. Because favor has been put on them, the worship has a completely different character to it. It is often spontaneous. He walked in the room, yeah, he is here, yeah, no fear, joy, celebration. And Mary now says, what does she do? She doesn't go into some theology of kind of, you know, the reverence and the dirge. She's sitting here, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, God who my Savior my personal he is great to me be careful with words of he is the savior of the world that's nice unless i am one in the world he is my savior said mary i know i'm bringing in the human nature of the son of the most high god who will be on a cross for all people all everywhere for us sitting here today people shouldn't even know but he was her Savior, personally. So now we do need to read it. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for... Congregation, tell me what's the next word. He's done great things for me. He's done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring, forever. John the Baptist, Elizabeth, worshiping, Mary, worshiping, proclaiming the worth of her Lord and Savior. Zechariah, here, the husband of Elizabeth, the father of John the Baptist. We won't read this whole account, but I would encourage you to keep going, because the next account right here is the birth of John the Baptist. The dad has been mute. He's been struck down mute. He's going along, and we're going to pick it up right in verse Let's say 63. 
So Zechariah, this whole story here, and he's asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered issues because there was no you know, history of the name John in their family. And at that moment, he was no longer mute. God opened his mouth. Verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. So what's going to come next? He didn't say, I'm thirsty. I need something to have with you. He said, and he spoke, blessing God. I want to draw a little attention to that. We are able to bless God with the words that come out of our mouth. If you want to read what he says next, he's going through the same type of thing that Mary did. Blessing God, repeating God's truths back to him. One of the things God loves to hear is that his children say, God goes, I'm going to give you some important sayings. I'm going to tell you some things about me. I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you the things that I'm going to accomplish. I'm going to tell you certain promises that you can rely on, that I'm going to be faithful forever, that I will love you forever, that I will give you a savior. And when we repeat them back to him, in whatever measure of faith we have at that moment in our life, that blesses God. He considers that worship. And so immediately when Zachariah's mouth was open, he worshiped. Look in verse 67. Where does this come from again? And his father Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he had visited and redeemed his people, etc. He moves on. We just keep moving along in this story. Now we're going to get into chapter 2 because now we've seen Zechariah. Zechariah again is worshiping. Luke is recording it for us. The Christmas story is coming about. We've got kind of the prelude. Now we're going to get into you know, the main act in chapter 2, the birth of Jesus Christ. Join me in verse 8, the shepherds and the angels. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And if you want to know a key verse in Luke, this could be a life verse. This is a key verse, Luke 2.11. If you take notes, if you underline your Bible, I'd highly recommend it. Luke 2.11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Here's where I really want you to... take into it. So here's these shepherds. Here's what's going on. The shepherds are being spoken to by an angel. They're being now given a sign. They're being explained some things. They're kind of freaked out because they're shepherds and they're like, this is kind of a big deal. Angel coming down talking to us. They're in a conversation with an angel. Typically when that happens, you probably don't want to interrupt. However, this group couldn't help themselves. For unto you was born this day in the city of David and you, go, you got this uh, sign and lying in a manger. Verse 13 and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. I mean, picture that. That's really it. We got the angel talking to the shepherds and these, the whole host of heaven is sitting there kind of like, I can't help it. I'm jumping in. You know, glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. We can't wait. We got to jump in. I just needed one more minute. The spontaneous, they can't hold back. A heart that is waiting for worship. You know what that's like? We talked about it a little bit earlier today. So don't be offended. We talked a little earlier. You know, there's maybe 10% of us in here around 10 o'clock. The way the, the flip side of that would be this. There are every single person just pounding on the door. Just let me in. Ten, I just wait. Just get it. Open the doors. Gloria in the Celsius Dale. The host of heaven couldn't wait to worship. The reason they couldn't, because he was great for them. He, they knew that God is great. They knew that he's great. They knew that he's going to be great for these shepherds. They knew that he's going to be great for the world. And they couldn't contain themselves. You're getting a little hint at some of the application, which I will hopefully, by God's grace, tie a little bit together. The anticipation, the can't wait, the enthusiasm, that I can't wait to express this. And they moved along. Verse 15. When the angels went away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go over into Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So typically we kind of read over that and said, Okay, the shepherds now understood what's going on. The shepherds are going to go over to Bethlehem. Let's see what happens there. But what Luke is recording for us, and I believe purposely understanding what's going on, he's given us the fifth example of worship. We cannot put worship in a box. It is not just words. It is not just songs. It is our life. It is our thoughts. It is our actions. Right here, the shepherds are saying, we just heard something. We just understood something. If we believe it, if it has any priority in my life, what do we do now? We leave. And we go. And we do something. They dropped, you know, I mean, I, I think they, maybe they had some understudies. I don't know. But they went to plan B, which was not for them to leave here and go to Bethlehem. That was not on the calendar. 4.30, pick up kids, go to Bethlehem. This was a reprioritization. This was a change. Worship in this manner was an action. It was physical. It was a worship of the feet. It was a worship of we are going to go, and we are going to go do something. Something has changed because of what we just knew and understood. If God is just generically great, why do you go? But God was going to be great for them personally. It was going to be great to go. That's our fifth example. We had them going along. And we're going to close with our sixth. One of my favorite characters, if you ask me one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture, it's going to be the passage in Luke 2 of Simeon. We're going to read here together. Got a little bit of time. The baby's born. Luke is going quickly uh, here. Um, he's giving us what he appears to be important through the Spirit to him for us. And they're taking the baby to the temple, and we pick it up in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Remember, we were talking about that, where this revelation, where the knowledge is coming from. We cannot manufacture it. The Holy Spirit revealed it to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit, there you go again, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. So there's a stranger now going to grab your little baby. If You're okay with it if you're in the spirit. And blessed God and said, Lord, speaking to the Lord, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon was anticipating God's blessings. Simeon knew the scripture that God was going to send a Messiah. The thing he knew maybe a little uniquely was that God had spoken to him personally, which God is anxious to talk to us and to give us a little more depth. But he knew that the Messiah was coming, and he was anticipating the coming Messiah that was going to come and save the people, save Israel, and not just Israel, but be a light to all the Gentiles, all the world. And God had said to him privately that you're not going to die until this happens. This is going to happen in your life. And we overly focus on that. That was a wonderful blessing. But the thing he was anticipating was the Messiah. The worship was a worship of waiting, of worship of quiet expectation. You ever see somebody who's sitting just confidently, quietly, not fidgeting, just like at complete peace? It makes you notice, right? You almost get a little nervous a little bit. I picture Simeon just like, the Messiah's coming. It's all going to be good. I'm just waiting for the Messiah. We'd say, oh, if I was there, I would do the same thing. He was waiting for the first advent. Friends, we are waiting for the second advent. He's coming. We've been told he's coming. He's coming because he's great for you and for me. He was at the temple when they brought Jesus in. He was again... Second time now, that he was at the door. That door opened when Jesus was going to be there. Spirit, he was there, confidently waiting for the coming Messiah. That's what he was about. That's what he was busy with. A phrase that I think one of the scholars who shared to my brother here, who shared it with me, and I thought it was really good. Luke records this, not simply to inform us to give us information. He recorded this to invite us into a life like Simeon and John the Baptist and Elizabeth and Zechariah and the angels and the shepherds, a life of worship. Different styles of worship with every one of them. Friends, we cannot leave with more information. No offense, we have more information than we know what to do with. We have more information than we know what to do with. This information is to invite us into a life of worship. Should we do just a minute or two, just a little application where this goes? 
we need, Theophilus needed to understand the information that the Christmas story has facts. If you and I are here and we're struggling with the facts of the Christmas story historically, has it been preserved appropriately? Did it really happen? We have the information that the Christmas story happened. But the goal here is that it is glorious, that it is personal to you and to me. The thought I have here is that our lives, can I say the phrase we use all the time, is very, are very busy. Christmas makes it what? Less busy? I will show hands. Less busy? Show hands. More busy. Isn't that probably perfect? Isn't that the way it's probably supposed to be? More time to reflect, more time to, yeah. We get ourselves into these messes, right? And we want others to get us out, right? That's a little point. Well, God is willing to get us out. The life that we are living has financial trouble, has sickness. There are job losses. There are fears that hit us. There are friendships that are broken. There are activities that need to be met. There are failures all over the place or pending failures. If I don't get to that by Tuesday, oh, that was last Tuesday, I'm going to be in a big mess. Got a lot of those, don't we? How do we worship through that? When almost every day our mind is bombarded, the calendar. By the way, why did God go to shepherds, right? Because shepherds aren't the kind of people that have a black bear and say, hey, the Messiah's coming. He's going to be in Bethlehem on Tuesday. Ah, Tuesday I'm booked already. Can't go. Gee, oh, if it would have been Wednesday. No, Wednesday not good either. There's plenty of places to worship, plenty of time. Our calendars are full. Our minds are full of fear. Our hearts are trepidatious for this, for our, our, the, the person we're dating and the person our, in our marriage. We've got, we got a little counseling we've got to do. The, the roof is leaking. Ah! And that's where I think that sometimes we go with God is great, I know. I repeat what I was taught in Sunday school or I repeat what I generally believe. But what I'm starting to lose here, is God great for me? Because what am I feeling all this? I'm feeling these problems. I'm not there. It's not as easy. I don't think it is supposed to be easy, but I do think God can easily get us to worship. I didn't write this, but I'm going to have you turn to your bulletin. Turn your bulletin. Mike, did you pull this one out? Yeah, all right. So thank Mike in the back. Mike did this. Uh, in the green box on the back of your bulletin, and I love reading these, by the way. I think to me they're a real blessing, but read this. How do we, what's one of the reasons we can worship? We got a Messiah, right? The Savior of the world, save us from our sins. But that same Messiah is concerned. That salvation comes through, comes through all of life and provides for us in eternity. Let's, I'm going to read it out loud for us here. God hath in himself all power to defend you, all wisdom to direct you, all mercy to pardon you, all grace to enrich you, all righteousness to clothe you, all goodness to supply you, all happiness to crown you. God is able and willing to take us through life. It is going to end well. So the concern is for this bump, and half half the time those bumps are God saying, I want to take something away. I want to take the lollipop away. You're not appreciating it as much anymore, and I'd like you to appreciate it, so I'm going to take it away for a bit.
or whatever, or I want to teach you. You've come to the place where you're so helpful to me. I would like you to do one more thing that really requires just a little bit more strength. And we're just going to work out together for a couple months. Just you and me. I'm going to be your personal trainer. And we're going to do some things that are really, really hard. They're going to be really hard. And I know you're going to feel like you can't make it. But I'm here. And I'm going to be there. I'm going to lift the weight when you can't lift it up. When it's exhausting, when your fears, I'm going to get you there. Because at the end of this, you're going to be able to bless me more. And you're going to be able to bless others more. You're going to be able to relate to others who are struggling with their jobs and who are struggling with their finances and who have had a broken relationship. I want you to be, you want to be a blessing to this world, so do I. So worship in the struggle. Worship in the pain. Because it's only for a time. There is coming a time. We can worship for this too. It's okay, right? We're, we're allowed to be a little selfish in this because the selfishness is a glory to God. Would you like a time when there's no more pain, no more tears, no more crying, no more sin, nothing? The world as it should be? Yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't it? It's coming. So we can worship in that, that it is coming. Bring it together. Look in the stories of the examples that God gave us. In the people, in the Christmas story. In the 2,000 years ago, in a small town in the Middle East, the triumph of good over evil was accomplished. The individuals then understood it. They said, God is great, he's great for me, and they worshiped in different ways. I'm calling us here. I'm asking, will we let the Spirit work in our lives so we can be people that will worship? Will there be a spontaneous song in our mouth on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. So here's where I get just a little bit maybe firm with each and one of us. If there is no action, a recurring action in our lives, a recurring action of where our feet go to worship, what comes out of our mouth, what we think about, the knowledge has not permeated. If we absolutely know and believe that God is great and that God is great for me, we're going to go, whoo, yeah. We will. And somebody's going to look over and see you, and they're going to go, I don't know what they're celebrating, but they're celebrating something. Come and ask me. I'm going to tell you. If that pattern is not there in our life, that's okay. We're going to pause. We're going to go, I need to know you, Lord. It's okay. Question God. Say, Lord, you may be great, but are you great for me? If you have not been born again into a knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he came for you. If you're not celebrating, check what you're thinking. Our lives are intended to be a vessel of worship for the one who saved us. Can I get an amen? All right, let's pray together. Father God, we ask you to make yourself more real. We ask yourself, Lord, to bring your Holy Spirit on us, that we can see you for as you are. We don't want to think low thoughts of you because we believe that it is sinful. We ask, Lord, to give us true thoughts, accurate thoughts, that we can see the one who is our creator, the one who loved us so immensely, who came to get me personally, to get me out of my junk, to get me out of my sin, to get me out of my hell, Lord, that I'm walking in and to and will remain in purposely and privately until you can open up my eyes and see I want out. And Lord, that there's nothing that I can do. I confess it is who you are and that you confessed and said, but I want you. Lord, lead me and lead everyone here into an understanding that we can have a life of worship if we can have a life that understands that we are saved and that you are our Savior. 
Lord, let this be a beacon in Bath. Let this be a place and let us be a people that have come to worship you and that others may ask what is going on that they can rejoice in God, their Savior. Lord, we ask much because we know you are glorified in much. And in your name we pray, amen.